Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim, a tantalizing crush. I'm guessing we have all experienced that painful longing to be with someone just out of reach. And even though crushes often end in heartache, they can also be good for us in surprising ways, according to Atlantic editor Faith Hill. She wrote the article, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. Hill says crushes help us escape reality, help us figure out what's important to us, and give us a jolt of vitality. We'll talk about crushes and the biology that underlies them. And we'll hear about the crushes you've had. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. A good crush. There's nothing better than that rush you feel when attraction strikes. But when the longing takes over and you can't think about anything else, or when your swooning isn't returned, it's devastating. I know that cycle all too well. In her article from The Atlantic, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself, Faith Hill says crushes are good medicine. She joins us now. Faith Hill is Senior Associate Editor at The Atlantic. And we're also joined by Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute at University, Indiana University. Her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. Faith, do you have a good crush story you can share with our listeners? Maybe, maybe one that inspired your article? Well, I probably have too many crush stories. I think, as you might have uh, guessed, I'm like a, a crushy person. I've had many different crushes in life. I think maybe just one funny one is that um, in, I think, first grade, I had a big crush on someone in my class, and I still have my diary from that time. I actually like drew pictures of him and wrote, uh, Julian is my sweet, sweet honey on the pages. <laughs> That's very sweet. What about you, Helen? Do you have a good uh, a crush story you can share with our listeners? I definitely do. And uh, it's so interesting because, you know, I mean, I've been studying love for a long time, and I've never really thought about this, but I certainly thought about that crush. And it was a man in, in it was an editor. There's no way I was going to put the make on an editor. <laughs> and I just was, I, sw- I swooned around him. And what was so interesting is when, when um, you know, I, there was no way that I was going to make any move on this. But when in faith article. She said, you know, hopefully it does not turn into an obsession, into an infatuation, in which you cling to tiny little signals of hope. And I, it reminded me of a particular moment with this man. He was going to, we were going to meet, and we were going to walk into Central Park and discuss parts of a particular book. And I walked out of my apartment building, and he sort of tweaked me on the back of the neck. And 
I still remember that. Mm-hmm. It gave me the feeling that maybe he was feeling the same kind of thing. Nobody, I mean, he was happily married. I was happily in a relationship. There was nothing that was going to go on. But I still remember that tiny little signal <laughs> of the crush. And what I really found out about is, you know, and no way I was going to do anything about this, but I would come back to my, you know, apartment after meeting with him to do this or that. I mean, it, all business, all business. I would lie down and i say, okay, Helen, this is never going to happen. We don't, I don't even want this to ever happen. Mm-hmm. But you really should learn to just enjoy um, the feeling. And after about two and a half days, it would dissipate, and I didn't think about it again. But I still remember it all these years later. So I'm, I'm imagining, are you in a monogamous relationship when this was happening? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't do anything. But uh, actually, monogamy um, doesn't mean fidelity to an, to an academic. It, all it means is one in one. Mono means one and gammy means spouse, one spouse. But yes, it was an absolutely faithful relationship. I had no intention of taking the move on this man. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, why do we have these crushes? I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, go into too much here. But uh there's reasons. I mean, what's going on in the brain? We don't know. I've never seen anybody put somebody who has a crush into the brain scanner. I do long-term scanning, somebody who's madly in love for a period of time, rejected in love, and love long-term, but never just a crush. But I think from the symptoms of the crush, the same thing is happening. You're getting a spurt of the dopamine system, and that's giving you that elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the focus, um, the focused attention on a particular individual. And it makes you feel good, unless, of course, as, as uh, Faith says, it turns into an obsession and, and you're terribly disappointed. Well, Faith, you kind of talk about that you start your article there. You say a crush can give you kind of glimmers of hope in a dry patch. Your, your framing is that a crush is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I totally agree with Helen that it, it can be bad. And, you know, there are certainly crushes that turn into something that's not healthy. But I think it's a mistake to sort of associate crushes with that in general. I think I mean, crushes are extremely common, and uh, I think they get kind of a bad rap for how common they are. And, you know, just the fact that you can easily have a crush that sort of just is exciting and fun, and it, um, yeah, it sort of adds a little color to your everyday experience. And I think often you you really don't think it's going to turn into much more than that, but it's just nice to think the best of someone and uh, sort of see them in this magical light. And Faith, if you are in a monogamous relationship and you do feel this, I think a lot of people suddenly worry about the stability of their relationship. It can feel kind of like a crisis or a threat. But you argue that that's not not the case. I do. Yeah, I'm I'm not in a monogamous relationship, but there is research on this. And it, yeah, it turns out it's like extremely common to have um, a crush on someone who's not your monogamous partner. There's one study where like actually 80% of subjects uh, reported having had a crush on someone other than their current partner at some point, and even 60% uh, reported having a current crush. Um, and there actually, there didn't seem to be any link um, between relationship satisfaction or commitment and having that crush. Um, it just sort of was this like exciting thing that it actually, you know, seemed to boost self-esteem and um, just was sort of a, a positive glimmer. In other words, potentially even good for the relationship, the, the, the more the stable, the long-term relationship. If, if you do have a crush, it could be, I don't know, fuel gives some good vitality to, to your primary partnership. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the research, you know, showed that specifically, but it does kind of make sense that if you are feeling good and you have sort of this, like, safe outlet to have, 
you know, imagination and fantasy that is just kind of fun. Like you're not sort of, yeah, feeling as stuck in what might be, you know, in a good way, like sort of more secure and stable. Helen, what is going on in the body? Why do you suddenly get this surge of energy? You want to stay up all night. Sometimes, you know, if the relationship does sort of take hold, you can talk all night. You can stroll by the river until dawn. Why do you get a jolt of energy? Yeah, I'm positive it's because of the dopamine system. You know, we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. Sex drive being one, feelings of intense romantic love being the second, and feelings of deep attachment being the third. And the whole point of basic romantic love, and what a crush is, is the very beginning of what could turn into romantic love and what's go and because it's the same system and if the course of course if the person loves you back and uh, your crush can turn into the beginning of a courtship and then of course a long-term relationship so uh, it's adaptive I mean it's adaptive to have these feelings and try out various people and see what happens but anyway what's going on in the in the in the body is um, uh, there's a tiny little factory near the base of the brain called the ventral tegmental area, or the VTA. And that little uh, factory pumps, makes and pumps out dopamine, giving you that focus, the motivation, the craving, the elation, uh, the euphoria, the energy uh, that you just talked about. In fact, that little factory, the VTA, lies right next to the factory that orchestrates thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger keep you alive today, and romantic love drives you to form a partnership and send your DNA into tomorrow. It's a survival mechanism. It is a drive, a basic mating drive that evolved millions of years ago. And, of course, the crush is just the beginning of this. And, of course, it could work out into life's greatest prize, a mating partner. (laughs) But... Let's say you are in a relationship. How do you recommend, Faith, that you don't let all that good feeling and, and all that dopamine, all that stuff that's going on in your body, how do you kind of reel it in if, if you need to? Or if it's not returned, if you're swooning after someone that's just like not interested in you? Yeah, I mean, I think that even if it's not returned, there is a way to uh, kind of not let it turn into an obsession. And, and that is okay still, too. But, you know, I think in general, there's sort of a way of like, having reality checks with yourself. Um, So, you know, it's sort of like when you're drinking, like you keep checking in on how you're feeling and just being aware of it. Um, So I think you can sort of remind yourself of what's going on, not let yourself get carried away. Um, It also, you know, is, (laughs) um, I think, can be helpful to sort of remind yourself of the flaws um, of the person that you have a crush on so that you're not sort of just getting totally separated from reality. But um, at the same time, I do think part of what is beautiful about a crush can be how unrealistic it is. Um, So I I think there's sort of a hard balance there where like, um, yeah, some of the really lovely things about crushes aren't attached to reality and you just sort of have to keep yourself from crossing that line. Helen, you talk about how a crush can, you know, basically teach you about, you know, who you are attracted to or be a way to to draw you towards maybe the, the, the right DNA option particularly. But what if you find yourself continually crushing out on, on folks who are, are maybe not good for you? Can you rewire your, your love map or your picker? Oh, I love that term, the love map, yes. Yes, sure. After, I mean, if you get really... <laughs> 
destroyed over somebody, uh, we, we do tend to, to learn from our horrible experiences uh, and say, no, nah, I'm not doing that again. But you know what? There is a problem, as, as Faith was saying, uh, as Faith was saying, you know, it is a bit magical. And what's going on in the brain is various um, brain regions in the prefrontal cortex behind your forehead. Uh, a, a brain regions linked with decision-making and um, begin to reduce in activity. And there's a huge brain region um, linked with what's called negativity bias. And when you're madly in love with somebody, and this is long past the crush stage, now you're now you're in your fix. Um, uh, this brain region linked with negativity bias actually goes down, and activity goes down. So you can overlook what you don't like about this person. <laughs> I'm very guilty <laughs> and, of that. And focus, just focus on what you do, which, of course, was adaptive if you're in love with the right person because you can overlook this, that, and the next thing and move on to have babies and send your DNA into tomorrow and also have a very healthy, good life. I mean, a good relationship is good for the body as well as the mind. Um, but um, the brain is well-built to fall in love. You know, for millions of years, it was our mechanism, as I say, to to survive and send our DNA into tomorrow. So the bottom line is crushes can be very difficult to control. It's a little like thirst and hunger. Uh, it's very hard to control those because they are drives. But what happens with a crush is you continually don't get any feedback from the person. And more and more regularly you say, oh, okay, what was I thinking? You know, right. I got to move on. And you learn. And I do think the brain learns. Yes. Over and over. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about all of this. We're talking about romantic crushes, the joy, the heartbreak, the pain, and also why they can be really good for us. We're talking about romantic crushes and what they can teach us about ourselves, our relationships. And we're joined by Faith Hill. She's senior associate editor for The Atlantic. She's the author of the article, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. Helen Fisher as well, biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. And her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. We would love to hear from you. What's your most memorable crush? Tell us about it. Did you act on did you act on it or maybe were you tempted to act on it? Did you learn anything from it? Give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786 or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim, and we're talking about romantic crushes, 
the joy, the heartache, the pain, and also why they can be good for us. We're joined by Faith Hill. She's senior associate editor for The Atlantic and the author of the article, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. And Helen Fither, excuse me, Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. Her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. And we just got a great comment from a listener. What a great subject. I've had a crush for five years now. I would marry this person tomorrow. But at the same time, I really have come to just enjoy how things are now with this amazing woman. She gives me hope and inspiration to be a better person. I would really just love for her to know what a positive effect she has had on me without scaring her away. Ah, I feel better just saying it. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. Yeah, that's right. And what's your mo- we want to hear what's your most memorable crush. Tell us about it. Did you act on it? Were you tempted to act on it? Maybe you're in the midst of a crush and you have a question for one of our experts. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Helen, you talk about uh, fast sex, slow love. Uh, that's sort of one of the terms that you're famous for. What do you mean there? Well, it's very interesting. You know, the, uh, the sex drive is, is driven by a whole different chemical system in the brain, the testosterone system in both men and women. And you can feel that craving for, you know, for sex with somebody. You can look at them and say, oh, wow, he's really good looking or she's good looking, whatever. That could be fun. But, um, you know, if they don't uh, pick up on it, uh, they say, no, thank you. You, you don't uh, suffer a lot. It's just a sex drive. You'll find somebody else. Do it differently. Romantic love. You care. People pine for love. They live for love. They kill for love. And they die for love. One of the most powerful brain systems the human animal has ever evolved. I mean, the murder rate, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, the amount of clinical depression. Uh, uh, the amount of stalking, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's a wonderful feeling when it's working well and you've got the right person. It's bliss. Um, but when it goes bad, it can be really bad. And we've all been there. <laughs> Nobody gets out of love alive. We all, we all struggle at one point or another, but we learn. We learn. And by the way, you know, I and my colleagues have put over 100 people in a brain scanner, and one group were people who were uh, still in love, in love long-term. Another were people who had just been rejected in love. And as it turns out, uh, we have been able to prove that time does heal. So uh, after a while, that intense emotion and drive begins to dissipate, and you return to normal and can love again. And so go, go go fast with the sex in the beginning is okay, but slow slow down the love so that yeah. you really get to know this person. Well, what's really interesting is, I mean, the sex drive can hit you instantly. Romantic love can hit you instantly, just like Faith is saying. It can, boom, just turn into a crush. Attachment, that third brain system, takes time. You don't feel instantly attached to anybody on this planet. I mean, you might like the way they laugh and the way they look and this and that, but you don't feel that attachment. So romantic, romantic love is like a sleeping cat. It can be instantly awakened, and you feel that feeling. And then, of course, it doesn't always last. I mean, you go up to somebody, you feel the crush, uh, you think they're really cool, they open their mouth, and they say something insulting. Boom. The brain says, I don't think so. So, you know, all the way through a relationship... Um, you know, you're you're counting your gains and your losses and, and your pluses and your minuses. But when you talk about slow love, that's a little different. That's what's happening today. What we're really seeing now in America is 
pretty fast sex. Uh, I did one study with Match. Uh, it's a, an annual study I, I do called Singles in America. We don't um, we don't poll Match members. It's a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. Census. So it's real science. And I once asked uh, 5,000 singles of all ages, you know, when do you first go to bed with somebody? And they all say within the first four or five evenings out. But love, um, what we're doing today is, you know, in past decades, people married very young in their very early 20s. Now they're marrying very late in their late 20s or early 30s. So what we're seeing is what I call slow love, this long period of what I call pre-commitment, before getting to know somebody, getting rid of what you don't like, trying things out. And all of my data shows that the longer you court and the later you marry, the more likely you are to remain together. So this current trend, it's a world trend of slow love, marrying much later, is I think going to lead to relative family stability. But we're going to have all those crushes just the way Faith said. <laughs> In other words, wait until the crush passes, it seems like. <laughs> uh, so, well, wait until the crash blossoms. That's what you really want. There you go. Let's bring a <laughs> caller into the conversation. Jason in SoCal, you're on the air. Hi, thank you very much. You know, your talk here has really started so many thoughts in my mind about my life going over the years. But recently, uh, my housemate and I decided to take a trip out to Tennessee, the Muddy Roots Music Festival. It's a huge camping five five days, 50 bands. And on our way there, through a whole bunch of challenges through the states that we drove through from Phoenix all the way to Tennessee, we stopped in Elk City, Oklahoma, to stop at the Walmart and stock up on supplies. You know, we need ice, we need all sorts of food, we need you know, all sorts of things. Plus, I should tell you, I was recently diagnosed with cancer, stage four colon cancer, oh. uh, just a couple months ago. And so I was trying to take this big last trip before I have to you know, settle with the chemo, which I've been going through three of them now. But uh, as I'm walking out with my full cart of things from Walmart, my housemate is stocking up on ice. I'm going to go out and get the RV, and I'm going to bring it back around, and he'll be closer so he can load up uh, the ice quicker. Anyway, so I'm walking out of Walmart, Elk City, Oklahoma, and in walking uh, to Walmart is a group of five people. There is a woman in the middle with a baby strapped on her front. There's to the left of her, looks like maybe her mom, behind her, her dad, maybe her uncle also, two older gentlemen. And then the person closest to me is this blonde woman who met my eyes immediately. I said, a, by the hat, said, howdy. At the same time, she said, howdy, like simultaneously. We both kind of giggled. And as we walked past each other, I thought, wow, the feeling I was feeling in my stomach, something I haven't felt in maybe five years. I've really been the COVID, the whole thing has been really got me settled at, at home quite a bit. But I turned around to take another look, and she did the exact same thing at the same time. We both started giggling. Her friend grabbed her, giggling, and said, Come on, come with me. But she looked back again. I looked back again. And, you know, I've got cancer. I've also got an ostomy, which I'm just stimming my feelings down, thinking, You know what? Don't ruin someone's day. She doesn't know that you have that. You would be disappointed, right? And I've never, ever been unhealthy. I, I'm, this is all new to me, having to deal with anything to do with taking medications and you know, living life with uh, something that might kill me if I don't survive it. But I went and I loaded up the stuff at the back of the parking lot into the RV, because the RV is big. you got to park way at the back. There's this huge rodeo in town for the next two days is going to happen. But you know, I'm on my way to Tennessee to a music festival. And I get the RV and I drive it down to the front door of Walmart and I park in the, with my hazards on right next to the door. And about 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, as I'm looking at my phone in the driver's seat, 
out comes that group of five again. Yay. And she's the closest one to me again. And she looks right up. As soon as she walks out the door, looks right up, sees me. We both smile and wave and stare for a long moment. And she looks back as she's walking with the group and they go and they get in their vehicle and they don't leave for a while. And during that whole short period of time, however long it was, I couldn't, you know, make myself go get her phone number or go talk to her. Jason, no, tell me eventually. Not, no. Tell me, tell me. You got you got her number eventually. Did you get to know this woman? Tell me. No, I'm still looking for her. Since then, I have, and I live in Santa Cruz, California, right? So Kill, California. Well, I hope she's listening right now, and she can she can come and uh, go on that date that you're longing for. And Jason, thank you so much for sharing about your your health situation. I um I'm really sorry to hear about it, and I hope you sound like you're quite alive and going to give it a good fight. So we wish you the best of luck, and thank you so much for sharing that tale. Let's uh, go to another caller, uh, Helena in Fremont. You're on the air. Hi, thank you. Um, that was a fantastic topic. So my personal story is going to be encouraging for many people who have crushed on someone but haven't said anything yet. So it started while I was in high school. That was my first year in high school. The guy is the best student at school and the most handsome young guy in the school. Of course, I have crushed on him, right? But I didn't say anything. I kept it as a secret for the whole three years and came from another country. We only have three years for high school, now four years like here. So at the end of the three years, we, after we finished the, the most important exam, going to university, before I go to university, and I feel that I cannot do it anymore. I need to make a decision. I need to have a, a closure for myself. For the whole three years, I didn't say anything, but I kept the whole three books of the thick notebook of my daily diary. It documented all of my feelings up and down, little things I watch him from far away and how his good and bad is impacting my mood and encouraging me to climb up to be the best student in school. <laughs> so at the end of the summer, I host a party. And of course, he was invited. We have like 30 uh, teenagers, we play, we love, we had a party. At the end of the party, I passed him a private message, which is a thick letter. It's a 10,000 words letter. Basically, it's an abstract of my three years emotion journey from my diary. And uh, after that, I didn't expect anything because I know at that moment, he had kind of a sort of girlfriend or a girl to hang out together. So it's more for me to say, okay, I want to put a closure. I want to begin my new journey in the university. And we are going to different universities. But you know what? He find me and he called me. He said, let's go out. Let's talk about it. Aww. And then we had the first date. And he told me that he has no clue, no idea what's going on with me. Okay, you, Helena, you got you to you get to the end of the story here. Tell me what uh, happens. I'm so curious. All right. Yeah, so we dated the, in the university, but we were apart as long distance last for five years. He studied in the U.S., I stayed in my original country. But in the end, I came here, we got together, we got married, and we have a beautiful girl. Yay! So, I was hoping oh, that was the yes. ending. Oh, yes. congratulations. Yes. So, oh, what, um, yeah, I think the most important thing for me is that uh, as a woman, I want to be responsible for my feeling if I have it. 
no matter one, I want to let the other person know. And I want in, to in ten in ten thousand words, no less, Helena. <laughs> ten thousand words is an impressive way to tell someone that you like them. What a wonderful story! Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, a listener asked this question, which I, I've always wondered, uh, Helen or Faith. Maybe Helen started, and if Faith, maybe you can jump in if you have something to add. But can you explain why you have a crush on that particular person? Oh, this is a huge uh, question. But uh, two things. There's culture and there's your biology. So you grow up to have certain experiences, feelings, etc. You know, certain kinds of person that you're interested in. I call that your love map. You even use that term. And it's it's a list of the things that you're looking for in a partner that has to do with the way you grew up. And then there's your biology, and a good 40 to 60 percent of variation between people stems from their biology. Some people are more curious. Some people are more stubborn. Some people are better at math. Some people are better at singing. There is some biology, a good deal of biology to who we are. So this is the the, the story of my next book, actually. Um, but the bottom line is we've evolved four basic styles of thinking and behaving linked with the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen system. (laughs) And I've discovered uh, 15 million people have taken my questionnaire on this, and I've done two brain scanning studies. And as it turns out, if you're very expressive of the traits in the dopamine system, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, mentally flexible people, you're naturally drawn to people like yourself. If you're very expressive of the traits in the serotonin system, Mike Pence is a good example. Traditional, conventional, follows the rules, respects authority, detail-oriented. Those people also are drawn to people like themselves. In the other two cases, opposites attract. People who are very expressive of the traits in the testosterone system go for estrogen and estrogen People with the traits of the estrogen system go for testosterone. So we're not just one thing. This is the problem with all of these personality questionnaires. They put you in one bucket or another. We are we express the traits in all four of these basic brain systems, but we express some more than others. Now, it's my guess that Faith, who I've just met, is probably pretty high on the estrogen system. She's very sweet, uh, and, and she's a very good writer. And she's a big thinker, so she's probably expressive of the traits in the dopamine and estrogen systems. And so the kind of guy, and of course I'm going way out of the limb here, I've never even done this before, the kind of guy that she might want to look for, somebody who's also high dopamine, like her, and I could be completely wrong, Faith, um, uh, who's curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, and also somebody who's her opposite. If she's high estrogen, he's high testosterone. So we've evolved these natural styles of thinking And what I've been able to find is that we're naturally drawn to certain people rather than others simply because of our biology. Well, Faith, I got to ask, I don't think we've ever had a guest diagnose (laughs) what another guest, who another guest should date. So so did that land? Stupid. (laughs) I I will regret this moment, Faith. Help me out. I loved that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, hey, curious, creative, I, I want that. Um, I love hearing that. I think that's really interesting. Um, and yeah, I think I think it checks out. Oh, that's so that's amazing. Um, Marina <laughs> writes, could a crush be unrequited love or vice versa? Or are those two completely different in, in innocuous circumstances, i.e. not obsession or stalking? Faith, any, any thoughts on that? You know, it's funny. This actually came up like in the process of my writing this article and having it be uh, edited and, you know, sort of like trying to define my terms. Like a lot of the research on this is about unrequited love and it's sort of like, can I apply that to crushes? And 
You know, I think, of course, there's like a whole different spectrum when it comes to this. And um, there are some, you know, crushes that you probably wouldn't call unrequited love that don't feel so intense. But but yeah, I think that they're definitely at least related and really, uh, you know, very sort of like intrinsically linked concepts. Like for me, when I've, you know, had a crush, it can really feel like a, a form of love at least. And um, if it's unrequited, yeah, I think it's just sort of, it's not like um, a sort of failed relationship, but just sort of its own thing uh, in itself that I think has value. Its own story in and of itself that sort of adds color to our life. Well, let's squeeze in one more call before the break. Uh, John, in San Francisco, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thanks for the show. The uh you uh, you got to my memory bank. I'm 80 years old, and uh, I haven't thought of this in a long time. When I was 40, this lady crossed my path um, numerous times. Uh, we became casual friends, uh, you know, lunch, dinner, uh, friends. And one morning, she called me up, and uh, she wanted breakfast. And she, you know, and so I, 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 I took her to Original Joe's in, in North Beach. I mean, no, no, no. Not North Beach, in the Tenderloin. This was 40 years ago now. And after breakfast, we went for a walk in Golden Gate Park and uh, uh, the Japanese tea garden. And I sat her down, and I don't know where this came from. I decided to shoot the moon. And I asked this lady if she would ever consider having my child. Wow. Oh, my God. My God. Imagine that. And she started laughing. And? and she said, uh, John, she said, uh, would you give up cigars if I asked you? <laughs> and honestly, and, and, and guess what I did? You I gave hesitated. up cigars. You hesitated. I hesitated. Oh, no. I hesitated. And she said, that's my answer. Wow. And that was that was the end of my crush and my romance and my and my. And 40 years later, I've never forgot what a dumb thing, what a dumb reply I made. <laughs> Should have quit those cigars, John. We're talking about romantic crushes, the joy, the heartache, the pain, and also why they can be good for us. Faith Hill joins us. She's senior associate editor for The Atlantic. She's also the author of the article, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. And Helen Fith- Fisher, she's a biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. She's also the author of Why We Love and Anatomy of Love and We want to hear from you. Give us a call. Tell us your most memorable crush, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or shoot us an email, forum at kqed.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're talking about romantic crushes and what they can teach us about ourselves and our relationships. We're joined by Faith Hill. She's a senior associate editor for The Atlantic, and she wrote the article, A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. And Helen Fisher, she's a biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, and her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. Uh, Let's start this segment out with a call. Let's go straight to Lindy in Berkeley. You're on the air. Yes. um, I, um, when I was about 12 or 13, had two crushes on shows that were based on cowboys. First was um, Clint Eastwood, who was in a show called Rawhide, and the other person was Steve McQueen, who was um, in a show called Wanted Dead or Alive. And so this one I was, like I said, about 12 or 13, and now I'm almost 80, and I still have a crush on them. I, I followed them in their careers. I was sad when Steve McQueen died. I can still see that TV show. And Clint Eastwood, I was really surprised that all of a sudden he got old and didn't look like Crafty Yates anymore. But anyway, I still have a crush on those two. So I think it's, crushes can last a lifetime. Beautiful. Well, not to not to hamper the, these beautiful stories about crushes, but they can go the other direction. And, and a listener writes, I've had a few crushes on coworkers and, of course, never expressed them. It was interesting to watch myself have these feelings, even though I was very happy in the relationship myself that I was in. I actually found them distracting and they made me feel out of control, which is not a feeling I like. I was not just a little glad when the crushes passed. They seemed to flame out as quickly as they came on. Uh, of Faith, why, you know, they can go, they can go the other direction. So any any advice for, you know, those folks who don't like crushes, don't like that feeling and want it to, you know, tame it out before it sort of catches fire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there really is sort of a lack of control that comes with crushes. And that is hard in general. And I think it can be especially hard for some people. And I, I can totally relate. Um, but I think, you know, some of what's scary in that comes from sort of the guilt of having a crush because we sort of think of crushes sometimes as creepy or uh, pathetic. But in fact, I don't think they are. And I think, you know, if you sort of let go of some of the weirdness you're feeling about having a crush in the first place, then you can sort of just, you know, let them let them be and enjoy them for what they are, which is sort of just, you know, a, a way to feel that uh, there are really positive qualities in someone, which I think is you know, hopeful and, um, and, and something that, you know, if you don't, if you just let it be what it is and you don't expect it to go anywhere or beat yourself up for having it, then I think that's sort of when it can be like a a nice glimmer in the background. You know, it doesn't need... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it sort of makes me think, you know, in our culture, at least, we have so much shame around feeling those feelings when we're, we're in a relationship. Because we have a listener who, who really points this out. They say, curious if either guest has a comment on how the cultural context impacts romantic crushes, especially in the context of monogamy. Being half French, but growing up in America, I find that there is so much shame, judgment, and taboo around romance and sexuality coming from our Puritan roots, which is not healthy. People here 
often deride France as the land of mistresses, but this is a total mischaracterization. They just have a more realistic and mature understanding of what it means to be human. Uh, Helen, your thoughts there on the on the cultural context and, and our shame that we carry around these feelings? Well, there's, there's no question about it. That uh, I mean, anthropologists have long said that we are uh, a sex-negative society, unlike a lot of Europe. I mean, we don't have, you know, uh, nude beaches. Uh, we don't have a lot of nudity on our ads, et cetera, et cetera. We're a sex-negative negative society. Uh, and um, I think we continue to be. I think we fool ourselves into thinking that we're quite, um, you know, risque, but uh, but we're not. And, and that caller or person is correct. Um, I really like what um, what you're talking about, though, and what, what Faith said about the guilt. Because, you know, for millions of years, we evolved. I mean, 97% of mammals do not pair up to rear their young. Only 3% form pair bonds or are monogamous. And along with that, we evolved a whole lot of... of, of um, um, emotions to keep that partnership together uh, along them is guilt and shame and jealousy and envy, all kinds of things. And so I would say that uh, even though America is a sex-negative society, around the world people can feel somewhat bad if they are uh, sleeping around. I do know that, uh, you know, until the women's lib movement, really, in France, I mean, men were expected to have uh, a mistress. Um, it didn't always go very well. If you read between the lines, a lot of wives would be jealous, and a lot of mistresses would want more. And in fact, uh, far fewer Frenchmen today uh, do have mistresses, along with the uh, correlated with the evolution of, of women's um, women's rights. And in fact, today, where a man used to have a mistress because they couldn't divorce, today they are divorcing and then going on to have a new relationship with somebody else. So I don't think that we're a creature that shares well. <laughs> uh, I study polyamory, and you ought to know, I mean, the number of rules in a polyamorous relationship is staggering. Right. Um, you know, what, you know, no no going out on Friday night, no, no bringing somebody to your home, nobody... And, you know, I've spoken to the guy who, I don't know if the magazine is still going, but Loving More, which was the magazine of the polyamorous community. And they spent an inordinate amount of time just talking about their feelings. Uh, it, so I don't think we share well. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons we lie about uh, extra relationships. <laughs> Claire writes, I was in a loveless marriage for 15 years, but I felt I had to stay. Then I saw a man who was in a central role at my son's sporting events and got a massive crush on him. It made me realize those feelings in me could still be alive, and it helped me end my marriage. And another listener writes, I try to avoid crushes, being perpetually single. You live in that limbo between hope and truly needing to relish the life you have. A crush is elating, but the hope, oh, the hope! The pandemic was brutal. I had three crushes on Zoom. Who knows if one of them could have been something, but we were all locked inside. Uh, let's take a, another caller, uh, Vincent in Sacramento. You're on the air. Good morning. My crush was 43 years ago. It was the supermodel Cheryl Teagues, and I invited her to my high school graduation, but she didn't show up. <laughs> Bummer. Thanks for sharing that tidbit, Vincent. It's good It's good to have those those moments of desire. Uh, Helen, you, you talk a little bit about how this is, or talk a lot about, I should say, and we've touched on it several times, but I want to get a little more into, you know, this really is kind of the same pathways in the brain as, as addiction. We're lighting up the same, the same way, right? 
Absolutely. What you know, in all of our uh, brain scanning studies, whether you're madly in love, whether you're rejected in love, or whether you're in love long term, there's a particular uh, brain region called the nucleus accumbens, and that brain region becomes active in any kind of love relationship, and that brain region is directly associated, centrally associated with all of the addictions, all of the substance addictions, everything from cigarettes to cocaine and whatever, and all the uh, behavioral addictions, uh, um, gambling addiction, sex addiction, etc. And so it is an addiction. And this is why a crush can be so thrilling, but you're right on the edge. And if you fly into, you know, feeling, um, you know, out of control and, you know, beginning to do stupid things and uh, and then it can be very dangerous uh, because it is an addiction. So the one thing that that um, I would certainly say is treat it as an addiction. Don't write. Don't call. Don't drunk dial in the middle of the night. <laughs> don't don't show up. Uh, find other ways. And as Faith says, try to listen to what you don't like about this person. The impracticality of it. Maybe write all those things down. Keep them on your desk. You know, so that you can see them. So that you see how unrealistic this is. Because the brain is going to try and make this realistic. You're fighting years of human evolution when it was adaptive to have partnerships. And if this one's not right for you, you've got to fight against human nature to, to get out. Get it out of your head. Get that. Somebody's camping in your head. You've got to get them out. A listener kind of touches on that. Uh, They write, I had an obsessive crush that fits what is called limerence. It is characterized by severe intrusive thoughts about a person. The crush quickly became unhealthy. When my crush fell in love with someone else, I experienced severe heartbreak. This only happened once in my life. I sought therapy with brain exercises and journal writing. And with time, that cured me. Uh, We have another listener who kind of keeps, I love how listeners keep us on our toes. They write, this feels very hetero. Can you talk about same-sex relationships? Uh, Faith, any any thoughts about how crushes relate or are different between same sex versus hetero? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I would just say I think a lot of the same things apply. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it can a, a crush can um, come up in a lot of different ways for different people and just be. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think it I think it's. um. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same. Is, is what you're. Is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, I, I think it's the same. I entirely agree. Completely agree. Uh, I mean, in other words, you know, this is the brain system, like the anger system, or the fear system, uh, or, or the joy system. You can feel it at any age. You can be black, white, Asian, Latino. You can be straight. You know, LB, whatever. All of them. This is a basic human experience basic human experience. Can we sneak in one very quick call from Spence in San Francisco? We have just a minute left. Hi. Well, um, my name is Spence. I'm in San Francisco. I grew up in Portland. And uh, this uh, young woman, uh, she was a junior when I was a freshman in high school. Now looking back on it, she clearly had a crush on me. And uh, I was just too young to pick it up. I was too young to hear the signals. And I'm really sad for what I missed. And really, um, if I could reach out to her and say I was sorry, I would. I was just too young and my radar wasn't right. She was a really special person. And frankly, I thought she was too old to be interested in me. I thought she was too glamorous, too pretty. It just makes me really sad. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we sometimes put our own barriers up in front of us, even though maybe that maybe she could have really received you. 
Uh, any any thoughts from from you, Helen, on on those barriers that we create for ourselves? Oh, I think we create all kinds of them because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have a crush on somebody who's married to somebody else, much older, much younger, much richer, much much poorer, much. You know, it, 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 love is a powerful human experience, and you're just tipping. You know, you're putting your toe into the uh, the the Hudson River. And it can sweep you away. It can sweep you right out to sea. And and I think we feel that danger. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurgan and for Mina Kim. And we're talking about romantic crushes. We've touched on the joy, the heartache, the pain, and also why they can be really good for us. We're joined by Faith Hill. She's Senior Associate Editor for The Atlantic. And Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist. Her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. We want to hear from you. Have you had a crush on someone while already in a relationship? How did that affect your relationship? Who do you tend to crush out on? And are you in the midst of a crush? Maybe you want some advice from our experts. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, Discord. We're at KQED Forum or call us 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. A listener writes, a little over a year ago, I developed a huge crush on my housemate. We would stay up until four in the morning talking. I felt so confused, but excited at the same time, all the emotions that Faith and Helen were talking about. Last weekend, we celebrated our one-year anniversary. Congratulations. And another listener writes... Is it healthy to have a crush on a TV personality like the listener's crush on Clint Eastwood compared to a person who you see every day? Faith, I think you touched on that in in your article. Yeah, I think it definitely can be as long as you understand the situation and have realistic expectations and, um, you know, you're not making anyone uncomfortable. I think, you know, what can be beautiful about a crush and, uh, you know, especially one that is totally unrequited and you know it is that it doesn't require anything in return um you know i think that's rare for human relationships like usually you love with expectation to be loved back um and um you know you could say like with a a parent and a child you don't have that but it's still sort of about the relationship and not just about the person and what you admire with them um so I, I think there's something really special about just not wanting anything, but just being able to see what you think is special about someone. Another listener writes, what do you do when someone has a big crush on you and it's not welcomed? It is flattering and maybe fun, but how do you let them down gently? Helen, any advice there? I'm not positive you can let them down gently. Uh, one of the big problems is people just try to be friends. And when they just try it, because they feel guilty, they kill, they can, they're not going to return it, they're not going to change their mind, they feel guilty, they're somewhat flattered, uh, and it can be a bit of a pest, really. Uh, and so they... They they try to move it in another direction, like oh let, let's we we can be friends, you know, uh, and uh, that's a mistake because alas it gives the person hope, mm-hmm. and um, the things that I've done in the past when I had the sense that somebody might like me, I will immediately start saying oh I am so madly in love with my husband I I'll just start talking about the person I really am with, and I'm just trying to tell them that 
this is not realistic. <laughs> this is not going to work. And so rather than just confront them and say, look, I don't like you, which is awfully hard to do, um, you know, uh, I, I'm just probably like everybody else. I mean, I'm a bit of a schmuck that I just, <laughs> you know, just say, I try to talk about how happy I am with somebody else and just give them the clues. Uh, and I don't offer to be friends because, uh, or just go do things with them just in a platonic level because they will, they won't give up. It's just, it's really confusing. What do you do, Helen, if you're part, if you're the person, you're in the steady long-term relationship, and your partner is crushing out on someone else? What do you do with your feelings of jealousy, and, and how do you navigate that? Well, I'd be hurt. I had a dream about my husband the other night. I thought that I'd be rather laissez-faire if he ever had a, a relationship with somebody else. And I was so pissed off in the dream. I thought I'd be rather elegant. It's hard. We're built to love. We're built to be loved. We're built, we make these strong partnerships. And when they are somehow threatened, uh, it, it's a basic human threat. So, um, But if it's just a crush, well, a very noble animal will say, have at it, uh, you know, and let it uh, flame out. I suppose that's the best thing to do. I don't know what I, what a good psychiatrist would say. I, yeah, I guess see, see your therapist if you're dealing with with jealousy. <laughs> well, we've got a listener who writes regarding queer and non-cisgender crushes. I do think they're different. Many queer or otherwise non-normative people learn about their own identities through crushes. It's the classic debate. Do I want to be with them or do I want to be with them or do I want to be them? The experience of being attracted to someone can be an important input in the queer experience of learning one about oneself. And yes, of course, what one is attracted to as well. Thank you for writing that. That's a good point. Uh, Barbara in Walnut Creek, let's sneak this in really quickly. Yes. Hello. I have had some really negative experiences in family situations, especially a 20-year marriage. Can that affect your ability to actually form feelings like crushes? Helen, you've got 30 seconds to answer that one. I, I can simply, yes, absolutely. We all go to any new partnership with the baggage that we've collected. And uh, you've got to understand that, uh, you know, you've been traumatized and it may picking, may, may create barriers that uh, are not useful to you. And so you've got to break them down, get out, get going, try again. Love is powerful and extremely healthy for you with the right person at the right time. Great advice to end on. Thank you so much for joining us. Helen Fisher, she's a biological anthropologist, and she her books include Why We Love and Anatomy of Love. And Faith Hill, thank you so much again for joining us as well, senior associate editor for The Atlantic and also the author of A Crush Can Teach You a Lot About Yourself. This Hour of Forum is produced by Caroline Smith, Mark Nieto, and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beale, Catherine Monahan, and Brian Douglas. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amiko Oda, who produced today's show. Thank you so much for your help, Amiko. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim today. She'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation 
the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.